Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Good morning. This is uh, Attorney Vincent Davis, and the sh- name of this show is Get Your Kids Back Now. This show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of the show is to educate parents and relatives, or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of this show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box, at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. Good morning, everyone. We have a show this morning. Um, when we're adding a new feature, and the new feature is um, we're going to try to give some information about the law, at least here in California, and it's similar in other states, and I must warn you, though, that you must speak to an attorney, a licensed attorney in your respective states, but um, it's my opinion that most of the laws from state to state are similar, uh, not exact, but similar, because all of the states are, are um directed and regulated by uh, the Department of Health and Human Services in Washington, D.C., and their federal regulations. And the reason that is is because uh, most of the funding for uh, CPS courts throughout our country are, uh, is made by the federal government, by the Department of Health and Human Services, and each state has to comply with those regulations. Um, I'm aware of a situation that happened in California several years ago where uh, the presiding judge of the Los Angeles County Juvenile Courts, um, I believe, wanted to make uh, – how should I say this? Wanted to make the proceedings non-confidential. after all, secret courts have a have a bad name in the history of our country and the history of civilizations. Uh, there tends to be uh, something that used to be referred as a star chamber, and it was one of the reasons given for people leaving uh, Europe, coming to America, to form a new country to escape the unjust star chambers. They were uh, courtrooms where uh, everything was done secretly. And this move, uh, I guess, was going to go through our state legislature here in California and until the Department of Health and Human Services said, well, go ahead and do it. However, uh, if you make these proceedings non-confidential, in other words, open to the press and to the public, uh, you will be violating our rules and therefore you will not receive federal funding. Well, guess what? Um, I'm told that because of that reason, uh, the legislation in California to make juvenile dependency uh, proceedings open, at least to the press, was uh, tabled and squashed. We continue today with a court system that is confidential, and uh, the public and the press aren't admitted. I know in Los Angeles County they made a verified rule, excuse me, a... uh, a rule that where you can apply uh, for the press to be admitted to a specific case. 
um, but there are some procedures and some hoops to jump through. And uh, I think I've only been involved in one case where the press was admitted. And, and I don't remember, even remember the name of the case, but I remember it happening or it was going to happen. Um, maybe that was it. Maybe it was going to happen, but it never did. So things that happen in the juvenile dependency case, uh, courtroom are, to this day, secret and confidential. But the new part of this program that I want to add today, and I'll jump right into it, I'm going to call it um, Dependency Basics, Juvenile Dependency Basics. And this is from my friend Bob, um, who thought that I should be giving a little bit of technical information, not just taking calls from parents, uh, which I like to do. So I'm going to try this today, and I'm going to start off with talking about um, the basics of juvenile dependency law in California. Now, I, of course, won't be able to go through all of this uh, in one radio show. I'll do a little bit of time, a little bit of it each week, and um, hopefully if people listen to the recorded shows on our website, Talk um, talkradioexperts.com, you can go back and maybe put them all together. And Bob, maybe that's what we should do. Maybe we should, uh, after I go through all of this, we should take these segments out, put them all together in one recording, or perhaps even, we'll, you know, maybe we'll do another book. Um, by the way, you can download a copy of my book at my website, uh, fightchildprotectiveservices.com, or at my other website, helpfightcps.com. And the name of the book is The Secret, How to Fight CPS and Win. Yes, you can win in these cases. It may take a lot of work, a lot of strategizing, uh, but it can be done. In California, uh, Juvenile dependency cases are started by the Department of Children and Family Services uh, detaining your children and then subsequently filing a 300 petition. Um, I was just writing a blog this morning about uh, juvenile dependency uh, cases and your involvement with or interaction with uh, CPS um, agents, and I, and I wrote a short blog. Let me try to pull it up, because I'd like to read it uh, to everyone. It had to do with um, you dealing with social workers um, when they come, when you come into contact with them. And I'm looking for that posting right now can't seem to find it, but let me see, I just wrote it, let me see if I can uh, talk about what that blog was about. You know, I'm going to try to find it, and while I'm trying to do that, I'm going to take my first call uh, this morning, uh, because I see the board is uh, lighting up. So my first call is from area code 562, ending in 17. Yeah, good morning, uh, Vincent. Uh, yeah, um, first of all, thank you for having the show, and uh, hello to all the viewers out there. 
This is Bob, and I'd like to talk about my story about my son. Um, I have three children. They're going through um, dependency court for two and a half years, and the hardest one is my son, uh, John. He's the uh, he's love of my life. He's, he was taken to the system at nine. Now he's 11, going to be 12 in September. And the sad part about it is all from day one, he has not understood why they take away the parents and keep the parents away. And he just says nothing's happened. And he's, he's a likable kid, but they say, they don't believe me, Dad, because I'm too young. They think that uh, I have to say things I don't want to say and make up stories. And it's been a, a dreadful experience um, uh, dealing with when you have uh, a son that you can't see. It started off where when they take you away, they make all these promises of family reunification, and you follow everything. You get really excited. You do things before you're even required to do it. The judge started off saying, well, if you get started on these things, it's a good thing for you. So mom and dad start off trying to do everything that's asked of us. And uh, the reason why we're in this big mess was because of economic discrimination, meaning that when I ran out of money, I didn't have money to take care of my family. And uh, and instead of saying, hey, we'll help you, uh, they started trying to make up stories to try to edge the children on. The older children were kind of duped. But um, John, he was so, he said from day one that uh, he wants to go home. He doesn't understand it. Now he's at the point where he's starting to be molested. I'm seeing marks on his neck. Um, it's really heartened to me. We, I see him only four hours. I used to see him 12 hours unsupervised. Now I have to be monitored and it's like they just constantly want the money. They want to keep them in permanent foster care so that um, CFS can uh, survive. They have no funding. They need funding from federal funds, and so they get the money, and uh, that's how they're keeping alive. It's really sad because um, social services, whatever you want to call them, isn't for the best interests of families or kids are getting things back. I mean, it's been really – and if you fight them, that's the worst mistake you make because then they want to get in a vendetta run – and they um, they want to um, 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 make you jump through more hoops, and make your life miserable. So um, I'm not going to talk much long because I, I know you have lots of callers to do there. But I really want to stress out there. I mean, I, I don't. I, it's like now he has. He, here's the biggest point. He has a school of origin, and and, and uh, by law he's supposed to go to the school of origin, and they're now. They don't care what you say or what I say or mom or anything say. He has a special IE program he's supposed to be into. Instead, they're going to put him in a continuing elementary school. He's not going to go to middle school because he's supposed to. And he's not going to be with his friends. And he's just devastated. He says, well, I can't believe you, mom and dad, because nothing ever comes through. You guys say it's going to happen. So um, we got less than a couple of days. He's supposed to register for school next week. They're already putting him in another school. And uh, he's just—he's—he's he's a lost boy, and it's a shame because he's 11 years old. He was on his way to become an Eagle Scout. They ruined his scouting. They ruined his sport program. He's gained 40 pounds of weight in the system because they feed him the wrong kinds of food. He has no exercise program. They make up stories in the review reports that, oh yeah, he's doing the girls and boys program, or he does this, and he says he hates that. You know, he had a scouting career. He was going to become an Eagle Scout. And uh, he wants to become a football player and uh, play for Notre Dame as a quarterback. So, believe me, I just um, um, really appreciate everything you're doing, Vincent. And I hope I can share to my readers that uh, stick in there, hang in.
fight for your children, love your children as best you can, and God bless you all. Thank you, Vincent. Thank you very much for the call and sharing. Um, I have found that post, that blog that I did uh, this morning, so let me pull that up again and read it to you. And this will be some of the juvenile dependency basics uh, that we're going to be talking about from time to time on every show. Um, so, if you are ever contacted by a CPS social worker, you should understand that, number one, they are highly trained governmental agents. You are not. They are trained to gather evidence and use it against you in a courtroom where they will try and take your children. Number two, the probabilities are you cannot talk your way out of whatever the situation. Assume your words may be misunderstood, exaggerated, or simply misquoted. Inform the CPS agent that you are recording your interaction with them on your smartphone. Number three, and if at all possible, don't talk to them without an attorney. Call, call Johnny Cochran. Oh, he's dead. But you get the point. In most states, you have no obligation to talk to a CPS social worker. None. Nada. Number four, finally, in most states, you do not have to take a drug test unless a judge orders it. In other words, a CPS social worker cannot make you take a drug test. Share your story with us by calling in on the radio show every Saturday. Now, before I forget, I want to comment on the last caller. He told me, or he told us about his son gaining weight, 40 pounds, uh, I don't know if this child was 10 years old or 8, 12 years old, but gaining 40 pounds while in uh, foster care. Yesterday, um, we interviewed, actually it was two days ago, we interviewed a family who had this tragic situation. The child went in foster care weighing, I believe, 150 pounds. The child was taken out of foster care and returned to the parents at 45 pounds. Yes, they had pictures. I did, I did not. We did not meet the child, but they had pictures of the before and after, and it was scary. And the allegation was that this child had some, um, probably some special needs and was perhaps hyperactive. And in order to uh, calm the child down or make the child behave, the foster parents allegedly the dog in front of the child as the child sat. And if the child would move or try to get up and do things, the dog would start barking. This is, you know, very strange. This is according, apparently according to the parents who were told this to, by the child after the child was returned home. Additionally, it, the child told the parents that while he was in foster care, 
and, and he was in foster care for several months, um, that the foster parents allegedly only fed him french fries. Um, and this apparently was one of the reasons why he had lost so much weight. Now, of course, the child has been returned to the parents and taken to the doctors. And allegedly, I haven't talked to the doctor, but the doctor is saying that this child was is malnourished and was starving to death. So they're running more tests to find out, you know, if there's something medically going on with the child. But he was never taken to the doctor while he was in the foster home, allegedly. Um, this case uh, happened, or happened in Los Angeles County, California. The case is still going on, and the father came to us, wanting us to represent him in the juvenile case. He wasn't satisfied with his court-appointed attorney, and he wanted us uh, to sue the county and the foster parents for what happened to this child. Um, so he's now a client of our office, but it was, you know, the caller talked about his child being, uh, you know, gaining 40 pounds. Uh, we had the exact case that just walked into our office where the child looked like the child had been starving, and they had pictures of the before and after. Um, and I thought I had seen everything, you know, that could possibly happen to families in the juvenile dependency court system, the CPS court system. And, you know, every week, every month, every year, I just keep hearing and seeing new things, uh, new forms of abuses that are happening to the child. Now, interestingly enough, in this case, and I haven't reviewed the file yet, so when I get the file from the courthouse, I'll review it. But the father tells me that the allegations in the complaint were this. The mother had the children, had two children at home. A five, she fell asleep on the couch. And one of the children, the youngest children, child, the five-year-old, left the house and was walking down the street. Someone called the police police come, social worker comes, and they take the children out of the home. Now, there was no allegations, allegedly, about physical abuse, about sexual abuse, about emotional abuse. There were no allegations that the parents used drugs or alcohol to such an extent that the children should be taken away. Well, they file a juvenile case against the parents. Now, while this is happening, allegedly, the father was at work. So, not only do they take the children away, but they criminally prosecute the parents. And the parents had remained in jail, and they couldn't bail out, and they ended up taking a deal. Uh, at this point, we're, we're representing the father, so we're looking into the possibility of going back to criminal court, having his plea set aside. Because if the facts are as he has presented to me, there is no way he should have been criminally uh, prosecuted. I am told by the father that the reason why he took a deal in the criminal case is because the DA allegedly said, you either take this deal where both of you plead no contest to some type of child endangerment, or we're going to prosecute your wife, and if she's convicted, we're going to send her to state prison. 
so he took a deal. And the only reason why he could have or should have taken a deal, um, or the DA insisting on that, if these are the facts, and of course I don't have the, all of the facts yet, is to protect the county from being sued. Because there's no way he should have been arrested. There's no way he should have been criminally prosecuted. So we're looking into overturning his conviction. But let's go back to the CPS case in LA County. It's the DCFS case. Um, until I look at the papers uh, and the file, I can't believe that he was quote-unquote convicted of some type of child abuse or neglect, especially if he were at work. Um, his children are removed, and I think the children are removed for almost a year. And, uh, you know, he gets one of the ch children back, and the child has, you know, lost so much weight, uh, allegedly because the child wasn't being fed in the foster home. And what's interesting is, is that none of this, according to the father, was ever reported to the judge in the juvenile court, because I'm sure that if the judge knew this was happening to this child, something would have been done. But it's interesting that the social worker who has to see this child every month, at least once a month, once or twice a month in foster care, didn't notice something, or if they did, they didn't report it. Um, so, you know, these cases just have a tendency to spiral out of control and people get lost in the cracks and children end up getting hurt. Here in Los Angeles County, I think it's probably more of a problem than in most places, only because of the size of the county and the number of people that are involved in the juvenile dependency system. So uh, that's a story that I wanted to tell with respect to the previous caller. Um, before we go on to the next section of today's tips, I'm going to take another call. It's from uh, area code 925, ending in 29. Hello? Good morning. Oh, hold on. That's you. Yeah. Uh, hi. Good morning, Vincent. How are you? I'm doing fine this morning. How are you? Yeah, um, anyway, uh, we have a question here. Okay, um, go ahead. Yeah, I, w I was just um, wondering that um, what is the best way to, um, you know, kind of just remain calm when they do this to, you know, when they take people, you know, when they take your children for no reason. I mean, what is the best way to just remain calm and, you know, get through it? Well, you know, um, the answer to that question is different for different people. Um, if they were taking my kids, I, I don't think I could remain calm. I mean, you know, what's more important than your family or children? You know, and here's some stranger taking your children away from you. Um, but, you know, you have to do it because usually the police are there. You don't want to get arrested. Usually, you know, whatever you do or say, um, you know, is going to be used against you. Mm -hmm. Several years ago, I represented I represented a man, a father, whose children were being taken away from him, and he had this. And since it was a few years ago, it was before smartphones became really, really popular, and everybody had one. 
but he had a smartphone that videotaped, and he recorded the whole thing um, of what happened. And, you know, when they wrote up the report as to what happened and what was said, it was, you know, substantially different from what the video recording showed. And mm-hmm. um, we showed that or parts of it to the judge. The judge returned the child right away. But they they had put in the report that during the kids being taken away, and he had recorded entirely the whole thing from them coming up to the house to them leaving the house. They alleged that he said, I'm going to kidnap my kids and take them to Mexico. He was of Hispanic descent. He never said anything like that. He What he said wow. was, video it showed, he said, I don't get treated like this even in Mexico, you know, being in his home country. And somehow that was twisted or misunderstood or exaggerated to, to hey, I'm kidnapping the kids and taking them to Mexico. Um, hmm. So, you know, the power of the pen is, is, is mighty. And now everyone has these smartphones. I suggest that you do tape record or video record everything that happens and let them know that you're doing it because, you know, maybe people are heated on both sides and, you know, things are misunderstood or misquoted and it's only going to be used against you. But if they come, there's nothing that you can really do, you know. Don't fight it. The police will be called if they're not already there. Police have badges and guns. You can be arrested, and of course, this will be used. This will just be another strike against you when they take the children. And if you know the social worker says, "Oh, your honor, the parent, you know, went berserk. Uh, she must or he must have some type of mental illness," and then all of a sudden, you know, you're going to counseling and you're being evaluated for some type of mental illness before they'll give you the children back. So, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. You know, keeping calm, you know, when I try to keep calm, I take deep breaths. I try to, you know, rationalize the situation. I, you know, for you, I would say, or for most parents, I would say, look, these are important proceedings. Uh, You're going to be given an attorney or you can hire your own attorney. Uh, Know that whatever has happened can probably be fixed and your children can be reunited with you and your family. So that's all I can say about Calm. What state or and city are you in? I am in um, it's in Concord, California. Okay. And uh, yeah, what county is that? It's uh, Contra Costa County. Is is the county? Yeah. You know, there are a lot of uh, appellate cases regarding juvenile case CPS cases that come out of Contra Costa County. The county seems to be very mm-hmm. active, CPS, very active in taking kids away. Yes, it seems like it's not, it. It's not, it's not a large county in California, but it's very active and um, get a lot of cases, appellate cases out of there. Um, do you have any stories yeah. that you'd like to our audience? Well, I've just heard, I've, I've been hearing a lot of different, like you said, a lot of different cases going on out there. Um, uh, there was one cop that picked up nine children and removed them from a home. And like you said, it, it's, I don't know, you know, there's definitely some corruption and stuff going on up there. So, yeah. But 
But, um, you know, thanks for uh, letting me call in, and I appreciate you letting me talk on the radio, and uh, thank you for everything you do. It's wonderful. Thank you. All right, thank you for calling. Okay. You know, on Facebook, there is an attorney. Um, his name is Sean McMillan. He's one of the gurus in California uh, of suing Child Protective Services not only in California, I hear that he has uh, one or two big cases out in Arizona now. But anyway, he posts on Facebook all his legal work, including depositions. And he posted the deposition of an employee of the Orange County CPS system. And this employee, for lack of a better word, I forget the exact title, was... Um, the chief financial officer of CPS in Orange County. And I would encourage all of you to find that, uh, that posting and that video because that vid in that video, this CPS employee explains all of the financial incentives that surround children being taken by CPS and it now I now believe having practiced in this area many many years representing thousands of people and families that a lot of what is done is done for financial incentives um, this this process seems to be a money-making proposition for counties and states throughout the country I was recently doing some research on the internet, and I found an article that said uh, that the entire budget for the United States for the Health and Human Services for CPS cases was $69 billion. And, you know, I used to be an accountant, and I used to specialize in governmental accounting. Governmental entities are just like any other business. They're trying to make money. And it seems that the financial incentives, at least here in California, probably nationwide, are to take children away from families, not to keep children with families. And as long as that is the financial incentive, um, people are going to be removing children uh, from families and putting them in foster care. Foster care is a whole cottage industry onto itself. So I think we have to try to change those financial incentives. I, I, I was told the other day that a county here in California, that, and this is from a retired social worker, that they have quotas. I mean, it's almost like parking tickets for police. They have quotas of the number of children they want to remove and place in foster care. Now, I don't know if that's true, but from a, so, a you know previous social worker, and it seems plausible, think, you know, thinking of the number of cases that I, people I talk to, and the reasons why they're removing children. I'd say at least half, if not more, of the people that come to me who've had their children removed shouldn't have had their children removed. Now that's not saying that the family didn't need any help, but but you can give 
help to people and to children and to families without taking the children away. You know, I've told this story once before, and I'll tell it again. Many years ago, um, I was asked to speak at a juvenile dependency uh, conference for attorneys up in Monterey. It's an annual event that happens. And I told you know, the attorneys what happens in Los Angeles in drug cases, and I believe this was you know, right during the time of the cocaine, big cocaine and crack cocaine problem here in L.A. County. And, you know, that social workers would come in if you drug kid, if the child was born addicted to drugs or on drugs or testing positive for drugs, that they would just take the child away, place the child with relatives or with foster care. An interesting thing was up north in Northern California in these small counties, attorneys were telling me that they didn't do that in their counties and that uh, they'd let, keep the kids with the family get the parent into uh, drug counseling and drug testing. And they were able to watch the child or check on the child every day at school. And I thought that was a, such a great idea. Don't take the child away uh, where the child may be abused or neglected in foster care or where the child's going to be emotionally distraught and abused because he or she is being taken away from the family. You know, imagine a child being taken away from its mother and father placed in a strange foster home. And I thought that was such a great idea. But nowadays I'm told that uh, these counties have moved to the, what I will call the L.A. model, which is instead of keeping the children in the home, they take the children out of the home uh, and uh, they make money from the federal government for those foster care placements. Anyway, I want to take another call got a few calls to get through here today. The next call is area code 323, ending in 6-1. Good morning. You're on with Hello. Dennis Davis. Do you have a question to ask or a story to tell? I have a story to tell, Then, Good morning. Good morning. Go ahead. Hello? Yes, go ahead with your story. Okay, I'm sorry. Whew, I don't even know where to begin. Um, so my nightmare started uh, Tuesday, March 3rd, 2015, um, when the FBI and the Norwalk Police Station did a raid. At um, at the time, he was uh, I was seeing him. He was not like my steady boyfriend, just on and off. Um, well, they did a raid at his home. Um, but in the paperwork, they put that I was his wife, that it was my home, that I was endangering my children. Um, just a bunch of lies. Um, I didn't. I didn't even reside here. I was. I was living in Nevada with my husband at the time. I mean, I lived in Nevada. That was where my home was. But um, of course, my husband and I had split up. So I met this guy and I just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time and they just put me in the paperwork and said they were his children. They said there was a warrant. Uh, I had never seen a warrant. Uh, let's see, I was driving my children to school and I seen these cars following me and when I dropped my children off at school, they got me in the vehicle. Uh, they took me for about an hour to my 
my now husband, uh, his daughter's school, and they kept me there for about an hour with the heater on, with the windows rolled up. Um, they were harassing me, telling me I needed to help them get him out of, you know, his my home. And I told them uh, that's his home and they can knock on the door and that he would open it, that there wouldn't be a problem, that he's not a violent person. Um, so basically they did the raid and they, I mean, lied about everything on the report. Nothing that they said on the report was true. Um, he never got, uh, they put drug, um, drug, um, I guess that there was a lot of drugs and drug paraphernalia and all kinds of stuff. He never, um, got in trouble for that. He was arrested for a unregistered firearm two months prior to that. And I wasn't with him. My children, no, we weren't around him. I wasn't with him at the time. So I don't understand why they would use that to remove my children. Uh, they said I'm a known drug addict uh, for many years. I have a child age 28, all the way down to five. I was a surrogate mother, uh, five Years ago, when I carried a child for one of my best friends, none of the children's ages ranging from 28, 18, 16, 14, and 5, none of them came out drug babies. I do not have a criminal history. I don't even have a speeding ticket. I mean, I don't understand how they can just, you know, steal my children. They never did any kind of reunification services for me, and they took me off reunification um, services. Uh, because they knew they messed up. And my worker at the time, when I was cooperating with them, doing drug testing, doing the counseling and everything, uh, they said a known drug addict is known to alter her drug test. So I had no chance. I had no chance to get my children back. Um, I did sell my home in Nevada. Well, I didn't sell it. I ended up losing it because they didn't allow my children and I to return to Nevada, to our home where we lived and my home was lost, and luckily money came out of it, so I invested my money, and um, I have everything, every, all the documents I need to prove that this is all true. Um, I did try to record. I heard your last call, and you said, or like letting viewers know that you should um, record your everything that's happening. I did. But the initial worker that was there at the scene when I was recording pulled my phone from my hand and took my phone so I was not allowed to. And that was from the Mart team because um, the person that they raided was from the Mongols Motorcycle Club. So I guess there's a special unit that goes in for the children, not just the social worker. It's, I guess, the Mart team. So they removed my phone from me. Um, he did have uh, surveillance at his home because he does that for a living, access control and CCTV. So he had surveillance. They removed that. That would have proved everything that they did was wrong, that I was in the vehicle for a long time even after that. They didn't I they didn't have me on a warrant to even have me held and I asked them, What are you holding me for? And they just kept telling me to be quiet and because I wasn't cooperating with them, one of the FBI agents said, Take her kids. So that's what happened. So I don't understand. Um, I wish somebody could explain to me how my children could be gone two and a half years. And I'm a wonderful mother. And, and what keeps me going is that I know my children know the truth. And 
these are all lies. And I, I keep in close contact with my children, even though they have tried to keep them away from me. It didn't work because my children know that I love them and I've been there for them their whole life. So that's what keeps me going. And not only that, it's because I serve God and he has kept me strong through all of this. And I know that, you know, all lies are brought to the surface eventually and, and they are being brought to the surface. So I'm, I'm, I'm mad and I'm happy at the same time right now. I don't know how to explain myself. <laughs> what makes you happy about this? Because somebody finally, finally listened, finally listened, and they believe me. And I've tried. I mean, it's hard with the with the state appointed attorneys that work for them that do do nothing for you, you know. And for someone to listen to you finally and to know that something, you know, good is going to happen and that you're going to be reunited with your children. children were sexually assaulted in the care of the state. I have got my son was run, run over by a vehicle and they did nothing about it. I called because he told me and they did nothing about it. My daughter has a medical condition. She was born with a double ureter and um, I told them that she had problems and when she was assaulted, she ran away from the home she was placed in and um, as a result, she got very sick and the state, she ended up turning herself in because she felt like she was going to die. So one of my children, you know, made a plan with her and said, okay, look, we're going to get you help. We're going to turn you in so that you can get medical help. Well, when they took her, they medically released her and said she was fine. Well, I begged for them to put her with my aunt. And when she was placed with my aunt, I told my aunt, that's not my daughter. That little girl is dying. You know, that's not my beautiful daughter so we took her to the hospital and when we took her she was on the verge of a heart attack and she needed a blood transfusion and was kept in the hospital and I stood with my daughter every day every single day just like I had the previous years and they pulled up her medical records because she was in that hospital when she was eight years old so they seen and they seen in the last um from the last incident that she had when she was ill, that I was there the whole time too. So I reported it to the social workers there at the hospital. So did my daughter. So that's on record also. Um, so, I mean, a lot has happened. A lot more than, I mean, I can say, I mean, I could write a book about what has happened to my children. Do you think you'd be interested in writing that book? I definitely would help you. <laughs> oh, yes. Because I think the world has what happens to families and what happens to children in foster care. I, I believe that everybody needs to know that 
I mean, it, it's just the truth. You don't open your mouth. You don't tell them anything because they twist words. They say, you know, they say things you didn't say. I mean, they even said my father passed away from a heroin overdose. My father did not pass away from a heroin overdose. I mean, these are things that somebody said because there was a confidential informant on this case for, you know, my boyfriend at the time um, that a lot, I mean, a lot of things have happened where we know that it's just crazy. Somebody wanted us out of that house. They were going to benefit from getting my children out of that house and us out of that home, you know? So, I mean, and they sold his, they ended up um, stealing his home from him. So yeah, it's just crazy. I mean, but I just, I'm grateful for the people that, you know, believed me and that they're going to get me that help. And, and to think that my hair could, could um, bring my children home, you know, a, a drug test because them over and over saying that, oh yeah, even though your drug test is clean, that doesn't matter. Drug, you know, um, drug addicts alter their drug test. That's ridiculous. Like, so, I mean, I don't have a chance. I don't understand, you know? Oh, oh man. <laughs> I get so pumped up when I, you know. I know. Uh, Thank you for calling. I appreciate you sharing that story with us. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Alrighty. Have a good day. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, I want to take one more call. Um, three to Eric, go 323, ending in 75. Hello? Hello. Hi. Hi. I think I pushed the wrong button. I'm sorry. This is Attorney Vince Davis. Uh, did you have a question to ask or a story to tell? Um, yes. Uh, I have a question to ask. Uh, my daughter is going uh-huh. into mediation on the 12th, and they're telling her she can have no attorney in there with her. Um is that is that correct? Is that a CPS case? Yes, it is. What county? San Bernardino. Okay, so it's half correct. And the reason why I say it's half correct is because in San Bernardino, when they have mediation, they do not allow attorneys to be present. Okay. However... Your daughter can come out and talk to her attorney in the hallway. She can take breaks. She can text with her attorney, you know, so she can still get legal advice if she needs it. Well, unfortunately, she has a court-appointed attorney. I guess if the attorney believes that you are guilty, uh, they don't have to act on your behalf, which is what's been going on for over two years. I spoke with you last week. Uh, and uh, I did schedule an appointment with you, or I called and was put in the scheduling, uh, but I haven't heard anything back yet, and I'm I'm just concerned because I don't believe they will allow her to record anything, um, and they have twisted her words, they have twisted my words, and they, you know, and when uh, we do or say anything, uh, and we say something like, we would like to have this in writing, 
which is why we prefer email over verbal talking because we don't want our words twisted. They sent my doctor to a psychiatrist who said she's paranoid schizophrenic because she said they twist my words. And it's absolutely ridiculous. And we're going on child number six, fighting over uh, 26 months now. And this is mediation for a new child. Um, after post-divorce, she's recently married. This is a new baby. And, um, you know, the de facto of uh, CPS being against medical marijuana. And, you know, she has a medical recommendation. She has a heart problem. Uh, that she shouldn't have unless she were around in her late 70s and 80s, and she's only 28. So uh, she uses and not abuses. She's had a previous CPS case where they said medical marijuana does not affect your parenting. But she's she's at a loss, and we don't know what to do except to try to hire a private attorney. We've tried pro bono, but we can't find anyone. So I'm hoping that I'll, I guess I'll get in your uh for a consultation. I thank you so much for uh, your radio show, and I learned a lot just by listening to uh, other callers in, so thank you all for what you do by calling in uh, to Mr. Davis, and uh, I keep a lot of notes, so thank you all, and thank you for your time, Mr. Davis. Do you have a... Shirley, before you hang up, I have a couple questions for you, okay? Do you have a pen and a piece of paper? Yes, I do. I've been taking notes the whole show, even though my call dropped 12 times. I'm going to I'm going to give you a phone number, but I okay. want you to call today after 9:30. Okay. And I want you to make an appointment with the secretary that answers, and make okay. sure that your appointment is confirmed. Okay. The telephone number okay. is 888. Uh-huh. 888. Six five eight two, so it's triple eight, triple eight, six five eight two. Right, I did call that number, and, to, and okay. they called me back, and then they said someone from the scheduling would call me. Okay, well, if no one from scheduling calls you, you call that number again today and tell them that you okay. talked to me today. And that okay. I want to see you next week. Okay. Now, well, thank you have so you much. been to my website? Okay. Uh, next question. I have, have, you been to, have you been to? No, I don't okay. have the. Did you, download, I, did you download my book on how to beat CPS, how to fight CPS and win? So go to my website. It's fight. Child Protective Services dot com. Yes, I have it. Child Okay, Protective Services dot com yes. and download my book. I wrote it especially for family, for parents, not for lawyers, not for social workers, to explain to you what needs to be done. Now I have a very important last question that I must ask you. This yes, new yes. baby, is it with is the child with relatives? Um, it is with the father. They have separated the husband and wife. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, it's his first child, so he doesn't really know too much about what he's doing. She's allowed two two-hour visits a day. And okay. 
it's just this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. We've asked the attorney to file a change of lifestyle. Um, I I recommended, uh, like you said, for her to file uh, to overturn uh, the plea that she took in the original case. Uh, but she's frightened because she says, "I don't know if that means I have to go back to trial, or, you know, or what." So she's she's frightened of everything because anytime she makes a move with CPS. They just dig their heels in deeper to hurt her. That her attorney well, won't do anything. When you when you make the appointment, make sure that you bring your daughter with you. Okay. Because I'll have to ask her some questions, and if she can bring any paperwork that she has, hopefully she has all of the paperwork, all of the minute orders. Um, oh yes. To bring those with her. Okay. Yes, they, they get I upset look when we ask for minute daughter. orders. All right, we look forward to meeting you too, yeah. Mr. Davis. And again, thank you so much for everything and to everyone out there. God bless you all that you get your children back and fight CPS. Don't stop. Don't give up. Don't quit. Thank, thank you, you very you. much. Bye. Bye. You know that last caller mentioned something. And... Uh, I was having a conversation with another attorney yesterday about this. Um, she said that they, when you ask for the minute orders, and she's probably talking about, she might be talking about the social worker or the court clerk, but in California, the minute orders are supposed to be mailed to all of the attorneys and all of the parties, parents being a party, uh, within three court days of the court hearing. And in Los Angeles County, they used to do that many, many, many years ago. Um, and I was always surprised that um, the clerk's office spent the time, the effort, and the money to mail out those minute orders. I remember getting minute orders and I'd have stacks of minute orders that I'd have to file in the file, the client's file. Well, at some point many years ago, the county stopped, the clerk stopped mailing those minute orders. And the last caller has a case in San Bernardino. They don't mail out minute orders either. Although they do have a electronic system where I know you can get copies of reports. I don't know if you can get the minute orders, but you might be able to if you're a registered attorney. Um, but that's still, there's no excuse that the parents don't get mailed the minute orders as the law requires. So in the LA in all of California, you're supposed to get your minute orders mailed to you, and I don't think any county does it. And the only reason why I think that they don't do it is because of money. It costs money to print out minute orders. It costs money to fold minute orders. It costs money to stuff them into an envelope. It costs money to address the envelope, and it costs money to put postage, and then it costs money for someone to go out and take it to the mailbox and have it mailed. That's a lot of postage in L.A. County. Um, but that's what the law says. So a lot of people come to me, and they want to discuss their case with me, and I tell them, do you, I ask them, do you have the court reports? the social worker reports, and the minute orders. No, I don't have any of that. 
I was meeting with a lady the other day who took a case up on appeal, and the court appointed appellate attorney sent her the record, which means all the minute orders, all the reports to her. Um, and she said she was reading through them, and she told me, and I, I, found, I found this hard to believe, but she told me that she had never seen any of those documents ever before. She had a juvenile case. She went through trial, um, albeit a very short trial, the trial she lost, and then she appealed it. And she never saw, she said she never saw any of the records um, until she was sent the copies by the appellate attorneys. And then I was thinking about it. I was thinking, well, I guess that's not hard to believe. Uh, I spoke with someone a couple of days ago where the court-appointed appellate attorney did a, a, a brief, and it was a very good brief, by the way, and she said she had never met or talked to the appellate attorney and was wondering how they could do an appellate brief without talking to them. I tried to explain that it is possible. I mean, it's not you know the best practice, um, but anyway, I digress. Minute orders should be mailed out you should have copies of all your minute orders. If you don't have copies of your minute orders, get copies from your attorney or from the clerk's office in your county where your juvenile case is. You have a right to have them, um, so enforce your rights and inform yourself. Know what's ending up in the minute orders, what the judge has ordered on your case. You have to be informed if you're gonna try, have any good chance of getting your children back um, I'm running out of time right now. Uh, I only have less than two minutes in the show. Um, so there's a couple things that I wanted to mention. Um, in California, a juvenile case is started by the filing of a uh, 300 petition. And in California, that is the Mandatory Judicial Council form, the JV100. Uh, the petition must be filed within 48 hours of the removal. Um, excluding the court dates, and that's found in Welfare and Institutions Code, Section 313. You can Google that. If the child is removed, the initial hearing, which they call the detention hearing, must be held no later than the next court day. If not, if the child is not removed, the hearing can be within 15 days. And that's in Welfare and Institutions Code, Section 315. Or uh, rule 5.670, uh, I believe it's subdivision A. Now, in the next show, we're going to pick up and we're going to talk about the rest of the notice and those types of things and what happens at a juvenile dependency hearing, at the detention hearing. Uh, it's something that I think everyone should know. You probably have more rights than you were informed about. Albeit, I want to thank everyone for listening today. I want to thank for those thank you for those people that have called back or called in today. And next week at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, we'll be talking more about the detention hearing and the jurisdictional hearing, and we'll be taking more of your calls. Thank you very much, and have a good day today.